1: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Senator Roy Blunt joins the Post to discuss why he wants President Biden to slash two-thirds of his infrastructure bill, Capitol Hill security, and his decision not to seek re-election. Let's listen. Hi there,
0: I'm Jackie Alimany. Welcome back to Post Live. I'm the author of the Washington Post early morning newsletter, Power Up and we are back with our series 117th Congress. Our guest today is Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, the fourth ranking Republican Senator. Welcome back to Washington Post Live, Senator.
1: Jackie, great to be with you.
0: Thanks for making the time for us. We are unfortunately facing another round of terrible news this morning uh, with a mass shooting leaving eight people dead in Indianapolis. What legislation is Congress going to enact to stop these mass shootings from happening?
1: Well, I think before you make that decision, you have to find out what happened. You know, so often in the past, the solutions that people uh, proposed that Congress uh, enact wouldn't have had any impact on on the shooting. I think we do need to wait and see what the causes were and if there were any current laws that were violated or uh, any laws that could have been put in place that would have prevented this. That is often not the case. Remember the, the terrible Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, The uh, shooter and his mother had apparently uh, done everything the law would require, and you don't solve that by changing laws or adding laws. So let's see. The one thing we know for sure is that anybody who participates in this kind of heinous act uh, really has a significant individual problem. You know, the efforts that we've made, Senator Stabenow and I've worked closely together on a package we put together a decade ago, almost now, called Excellence in Mental Health. The more we can do to empower uh, police, empower first responders, have 24-7 accessibility, treat mental health like all other health. Uh, That's one way to deal with a number of these problems. And and we'll see what the facts are before we decide if there's any law that would have uh, prevented this from happening. But it's a tragedy. Uh, every time it happens. And uh, again, people in Indianapolis and around the country are sharing in that tragedy.
0: We do know, though, that there has been some gun legislation passed by the House that would address and potentially have prevented previous mass shootings from happening. Do you support the House passed bill that would require background checks for all gun buyers and extend the time that the FBI has to vet those flagged by the National Instant Check System?
1: Well, I'm not opposed to looking at things like uh, background checks and red flag laws and other things. I'm not at all sure that any of this legislation would have prevented the events that have already occurred. That has not been the case in the past. I'd have to look carefully at the facts in the House legislation. My guess is that actually, it probably wouldn't have prevented uh, the actions that occurred. And one of the things I think we ought to look at here before we rush to find a solution is would it really have solved the problem? So I'm gonna be looking at that, have been looking at that, Uh, If there are things that we could do that would make a difference here, certainly we ought to be talking about what those are.
0: You had said in 2019 when President Trump was our president uh, after the Parkland shooting that killed over 20 students that you were interested in doing something, but you criticized the president for not setting up what you called guidelines. What sorts of guidelines would you recommend in order to try and curb the 40,000 Americans that are killed by mass shootings uh, every year?
1: Well, in terms of of guidelines at uh, schools and other places, I think you do need to look at the the security considerations. Uh, You need to be sure that uh, people are not allowed to bring things into that environment that shouldn't be there. Uh, Again, I'm not sure that that there's a federal solution to all these problems, uh, but uh, having the right kind of structure uh, at these facilities makes a difference. Uh, I think we look at what's happened in the last couple of years and see that any number of places but can become uh, the uh, the place where people become victims, whether that's a Navy recruiting station or a school or uh, a, a uh, American Express facility, and uh, we, we need to be concerned about this. So again, we need to look first and see exactly what current law do we think Uh, fail to do the job here or is there a problem that's greater than a federal law and we need to address that problem as we look at these, these kinds of incidents.
0: And before we move on to infrastructure, you know, if Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer brings this House bill to expand background checks onto the floor, is that something that you would vote in favor of?
1: Well, again, I'm going to look and see if the background check expansion really would have prevented any of these things from happening. I'm from stopping these things from happening, not just adding more laws to the books. So we'll look at that. I haven't looked carefully at the House bill, and I certainly will if, uh, it come, if, if it's on the way to the Senate floor. But uh, my guideline on these every time has been show me where the change in law. Would have prevented the incident that you say motivates the reason to change the law. That almost—I can't think of a single instance where that happened. Usually, these are instances where people have followed the law. They've had a background check. They are in the case of the the, the Sandy Hook environment. The weapons in the house were weapons that were legally there, and a, a terribly deranged young man used those weapons. Now, how do you? Which, what do you deal with there? Do you deal with the mental problem the person had? Or do you require the parent not to have uh, not to have the uh, their Second Amendment rights because they've got somebody else in the house? And you know, that's the, You're going to have these kinds of problems no matter what you do. Uh, I think there are bigger issues here than finding uh, another law. But let's look and see. Let's look at the facts. I, I know that's troublesome and gets in the way. But let's see what actually happened here, and let's see if there's a change in law that would have prevented it before we rush to think that that solves this problem.
0: But you voted no against banning high-capacity magazines. And we know that banning assault weapons would have prevented a number of these shootings that have occurred, uh, including the shooting that happened in Las Vegas that killed almost 60 Americans. So why not support something like that or, or, a, high capa- or a ban on high-capacity magazines?
1: Well, I think, like the Las Vegas incident, I think those those things are no longer available. The thing that was used in Las Vegas and and I, I think that that problem was appropriately dealt with by uh, people who didn't realize before they were selling them how those could be used. But uh, you know, we're gonna have to look at what can come we can come together with here and see if there's anything possible. Uh, but I, I know you think, and others do, the changing the law solves the problem. I guarantee you changing the law will not solve the problem of people with a mental problem or some other kind of problem, a dependency problem. That's a much bigger issue. We are working hard on those issues. And at the end of the day, that will have much more impact than assuming that somebody who wants to get a weapon uh, in a country full of weapons can't find one.
0: And this week you had called President Biden's proposed infrastructure bill uh, basically an extreme Green New Deal under the guise of an infrastructure bill. Do you think that there are any Republicans that would vote to support this bill as it currently is structured?
1: I don't think so. I don't think with the with a major tax increase and the broad expansion of uh, calling uh, this bill an infrastructure bill when it really doesn't meet any a uh, normal definition of uh, infrastructure. The uh, uh, idea when you talk to people about infrastructure, they know we need it. I think they know we're behind in it. I know that uh, there's a feeling that in the Obama administration and the Trump administration, and so far in this administration, we've failed to deal with the traditional infrastructure of roads and bridges and ports and airports, uh, highways, uh, this uh, this bill doesn't do very much of that traditional infrastructure uh, that people understand we need. Uh, also, you can't expect, I don't think, Republicans who just voted for a tax bill that they believe and I believe was driving the economy dramatically in the right direction before COVID uh, to within four years say, we're, we're, we're glad to reverse that tax bill to do all of the things here uh, that aren't infrastructure as opposed to looking for the traditional infrastructure sources of funding, and there are plenty of them, and figuring out how we bring those sources more up to date uh, to uh, fund infrastructure. You know, 5% of uh, this so-called infrastructure package uh, deals with highways, roads, bridges. Maybe 30%, if you want to stretch it, may deal with uh, Airports, ports, water, above ground, underground infrastructure. I think there's an easy path to a bipartisan bill on the traditional infrastructure parts of of this. I don't know why the administration wouldn't do everything they could to make an issue that's bipartisan, bipartisan. And then if they want to step back and uh, call the rest of the bill whatever they want to and pass that in a partisan way, they can do that. Uh, But I I will tell you that the administration has reached out to me several times in the last uh, two weeks to talk about uh, how do we fund what we need to do at ports and airports, uh, highways, roads, bridges, water systems. Uh, All that could be a, a, a significant bipartisan effort. I think in the uh, 600 to $700 billion range, which would likely be the biggest infrastructure package we've ever put together. Uh, I would think that the administration would want to do that in a bipartisan way if they could. And then they can move down the road with other issues like what they call the carrying infrastructure or the how we make things infrastructure. Uh, those are not infrastructure by any standard view of what the government does to make the country function uh, on a the services available for transportation and water and stormwater and other things like that.
0: That was actually gonna be my next question. Uh, you know, what pay-fors do you support in order to pay for, you know, what you've called a more traditional infrastructure bill?
1: Well, I have been talking to Democrats in the Senate uh, as well as um, as the administration about that this week. First of all, you have the underlying uh, highway fund. Uh, You add to that, uh, the the fees that come with ports and airports, both the inland ports and the coastal ports, uh, The fees that come from railroads. Uh, Particularly if you're talking about an eight year bill, Jack, you can get pretty quickly to somewhere in the neighborhood of $600 billion. Uh, You can combine that with public-private partnerships like Senator Warner and Senator Bennett and I uh, have advocated for uh, the last handful of years uh, and can get to uh, another couple of hundred billion dollars. And when you're talking about services that have customers like water systems, for instance, uh, you can stretch out that interest-free loan or whatever the government can do to help make those services what they need to be in a way that the impact on the individual rate uh, really isn't much of an impact. And so you get a lot of infrastructure pr- improvement uh, with really basically a either writing down the interest or a loan guarantee. I- I- I'm sure there's a way to get uh, in the neighborhood of uh, six to $800 billion over the eight years they're talking about, as opposed to having this huge two plus trillion dollar package that you would build in eight years and pay for in 15, uh, that's just not gonna happen. You know, At the end of that eight years, people are gonna wanna know why are we continuing to pay for that? What are we gonna do next? But I, I do think that there's been a level of outreach from a number of my Democrat colleagues, Senator Coons and I have spent a lot of time on this. I think there's bipartisan interest in a bipartisan way forward in an infrastructure bill that anyone who's ever talked about infrastructure would recognize as an infrastructure bill as opposed to just deciding to call uh, whatever you want to infrastructure because you think infrastructure is popular as something we need to do because frankly infrastructure is popular as something we need to do.
0: And I noticed you were mentioning the word bipartisan quite a bit from uh, the mental health bill, I believe, that you said that you were working on um, with Debbie Stabenow to working on some sort of bipartisan infrastructure bill. You know, it's something bipartisan. These bipartisan efforts are not so common anymore. You have probably seen that evolution in the 14 years that you've served in Congress, you know, which begs the question, why did you decide not to seek reelection and not try for a third term as a senator?
1: Well, 14 years in the House and by the end of this term, 12 years in the Senate, 26 years in the Congress seems like uh, plenty for me. And frankly, I was an elected official in the state for uh, 20 years before that. So I think there's just a time when uh, you you look at uh, what's out there. It's the longest decision anybody makes in American politics. You basically have to believe it, have to decide you're going to run for the Senate a couple of years in advance, and then it's a six year term when you're successful. Uh, And so eight years, it's an eight year decision. I think this will be a good time for a transition. We have a number of elected officials in our state and others who uh, could serve and would serve. uh, And uh, I, I feel good about the decision on the bipartisan front. Yeah, I mentioned Senator Stabenow. She and I worked on mental health issues. We didn't just file a bill this year. We filed a bill, frankly, in 2013, which we called Excellence in Mental Health. In 2015, the first eight states started down that road of treating mental health like all other health. We have 10 states doing that now, and 41 states have significant health mental health agencies in their state uh, where under excellence in mental health mental health's being treated uh like all other health a couple of years ago my staff checked i think to see how many democrats i had been the principal sponsor of legislation with in the senate at the time there were 44 democrats i'd sponsored legislation with there were 48 democrats i'd sponsored legislation with 44 of them uh, as the principal sponsor either the lead sponsor or the lead republican Uh, The Senate's a place that, frankly, unless you change the rules, actually insist on looking for bipartisan efforts to work together. Uh, And frankly, last year we passed five major bills that were bipartisan dealing uh, with the pandemic and COVID. Uh, You know, I I think when you pass those bills, they don't get nearly the attention uh, as when you run into disagreement on the bill like the bill that was passed earlier this year. Uh, but five major bipartisan bills and lots of other bipartisan pieces of legislation uh, in the Senate, that's the way to get the work done. I, I hope we don't change the rules of the Senate. I hope we continue to get our work done in a bipartisan way. It forces the decision more uh, toward the middle of the, of the political debate, uh, and that's where you find the real solutions in, in a democracy.
0: And I want to get back though to your decision to retire. You mostly over the four years of the Trump administration voted in line with the president, but you did oppose him on a few big issues towards the end of his presidency, including to not supporting his position to objecting to presidential electors in Pennsylvania and Arizona. And you also had voted against him when he wanted to use his emergency powers to build a border wall. Did you feel like you Weren't sufficiently pro-Trump enough, even though your voting record might suggest otherwise. And and did that inform your decision not to run again?
1: It, it didn't. It didn't. You know, I, I chaired the pres- President Trump's inauguration, just like I did President Biden's, and so our relationship was always a little different, I think, than the relationship uh, President Trump may have had with other members. It was very frank. We were able to disagree on occasion. Uh, I he. Had, told me he was gonna be supportive if I ran again. So that really wasn't an element. My my decision was not about whether I got elected because I was confident I would be, it was whether I really wanted to spend uh, another eight years uh, in the Congress as opposed to this last two. Uh, But I do intend to finish strong. We're gonna continue to work on things like uh, healthcare uh, reform, uh, healthcare research, Uh, mental health equity, things we're doing in the Intel Committee to be sure uh, that we're not letting our adversaries get ahead of us. Uh, And uh, I'm looking forward to the next to the uh, next two years.
0: Uh, And that really begs the question, even though you do have a full two years left, there are some big names who have jumped in the race to fill your seat uh, in the Republican Party. Who do you like out of the Republicans who announced and are you planning on endorsing in the primary?
1: You know, Missouri you get to decide that I have. I have one vote in that election. I, I don't know that I'll get involved and I don't know that I won't. I think I'm going to let this settle out. I, I have been doing this for a long time and have some sense that uh, it, the these these questions often solve themselves. They often answer themselves as people get out and, and decide to and run. I know many of my house colleagues are uh, interested and. Uh, We've got, great, we've got a great delegation. Uh, frankly, we've, got, we've always had great bipartisan relationships on our delegation, but uh, great Republican members of the House. When I've talked to them, I've said, you know, I was in the House and I've been in the Senate. Uh, we've got eight uh, members of Congress from our state. It might not be eight times as hard uh, to be in the Senate as in the House, but it's at least three or four times as hard. So uh, you need to think about this carefully, see if you can... Uh, put a campaign together and make a decision about whether you're going to serve Missourians best in the House or the Senate. We've got statewide elected officials that uh, have uh, just been elected again and a number of them. And we've got people in our state who aren't in politics at all who might want to look at this. It's a long time till the filing deadline uh, in our state. In fact, you can't even begin to file uh, until February of next year. So. Uh, there's plenty of time to see how this race settles out. And uh, if uh, the United States Senate doesn't teach you anything else, it teaches you patience. And so I'm going to use some of that patience to watch this settle in before I decide what I'm going to do about it.
0: And former Governor Eric Greitens is in the race. Um, Trump's former pollster, Tony Fabrizio, or current pollster, uh, just released a poll that shows him with a pretty significant lead Crichton's was spotted at a donor retreat at Mar-a-Lago last weekend. He seems like the most Trumpian candidate. Would you back his candidacy if he did become the Republican nominee?
1: Well, I expect to back the Republican nominee in the election. We'll just have to see where that all winds up. But there's a lot of a lot of discussion, a lot of a lot of competition between candidates. Uh, what appears to be the the way of the land right now may not be that way at all a year from now, and even a year from now, is months ahead of the election. So I, just, I think there's plenty of time here, and, and we're going to see how uh, time and circumstances affect uh, those candidates and their campaigns.
0: Would you like to see former President Trump follow your lead and stay out of these primary contests?
1: Well, I do think that uh, the, the President Trump's best use of his time, and, and he's a significant political factor in the country and certainly in our state, Uh, is to really be focused on the majorities in 2022, in both the House and the Senate. Uh, You know, Democrats in the House have the smallest majority uh, they've had in 150 years. uh, And uh, obviously the Senate couldn't be closer than it is at 50-50. So I I think the real focus is, uh, is what do you do to recapture those two majorities? And how do you spend your time most effectively for that, uh, but if, if I have have advice for the president on this, I think I'll give it to him personally rather than uh, even on this important opportunity today.
0: It does sound like, though, you're suggesting it's not a productive use of his time to get involved with primaries and trying to uh, oust incumbents who don't necessarily agree with him.
1: Well, I don't think that's the case here, so I, I, I'm, I'm not sure quite how that fits in or what he's thinking about doing there, but I, I think uh, an incredible part of uh, his his effort should be made and, and can best be made uh, to help secure those majorities again, and he can be a factor in that uh, in, in a lot of places in a significant way. And I
0: wanna get to another one of the Uh, President Biden's campaign promises fulfilled. He just announced the establishment of a commission to look at Supreme Court reform, including possibly adding members to the bench. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, you know, uh, one of my colleagues, Senator uh, Markey, just this week uh, filed a bill to add four members to the court. I I think the court is the right size. Uh, It's been that size since 1868. There's no uh, constitute, the Constitution doesn't talk about the size of the court. That's always been something uh, that early on was left to the Congress, and I guess still is. But again, since 150 years, the size of the court hasn't changed. Uh, Judge uh, Justice Ginsburg said late in her incredibly significant career that she thought nine was about the right size. Justice Breyer uh, just last week said that nine was the right size. I don't think the court gains by making it bigger. And one of the lessons uh, that Democrats and Republicans should have learned over the last few years is that when you begin to change the norm, uh, you change the norm of future behavior as well. You know, President Trump was able to nominate, and a Republican Senate confirmed uh, three justices. Uh, and so uh, Senator Markey and House members joining him said, Well, we need to now add four judges, and if that was successful, it won't be too long before there's a Republican president and a Republican Senate, Uh, and then I guess the same standard would be we'd add five justices. That would be a terrible road to to head down, and uh, on the part of the 36-member commission, I think that commission, looking at the way it's put together, is almost uh, certain to suggest that we add judges to the court uh, and they'll do that after having hearings and talking about the conduct of the court and how they're doing those jobs. When you really think of that, an administration appointed commission uh, to publicly evaluate the court and how they're doing their jobs Gets pretty far into the balance of power that the Constitution established. The Constitution, I don't think ever would have anticipated that either the legislative branch or the uh, executive branch uh, would have public hearings to determine whether the court was doing a good job or not. We haven't ever done that before uh, in the country. Uh, And uh, I think the commission is unlikely to be a productive thing. And I know the legislation. Uh, would not be a good good road to start down. Uh, that, that decision-making body doesn't improve just because it gets bigger. And the court, in many ways, their job has gotten easier over time as we've added more federal judges at the district level and the court of appeals level rather than harder over time. Uh, and the room where the court makes those decisions and when they meet as a group outside the courtroom, does not benefit from being much bigger than it is right now. And that's why Justice Breyer and and uh, Justice Ginsburg both had that same view that I have of the size of the court.
0: And I've got to ask you about uh, another newsy topic that our, our colleagues just published a big deep dive on. Do you believe Matt Gates, who is being investigated by the Justice Department for violating federal sex trafficking laws, should resign?
1: Well, I don't know much about the case. I don't know him at all. he didn't I didn't serve with him in the house. As far as I know, i've I've never met him. Um, if uh, guilty of those activities, you'd have to believe he should resign. but uh, i have I have no idea what the facts of that case are, nor have I looked carefully at it.
0: Uh, I'm wondering, though, someone who has reportedly shown nude photos of women to colleagues uh, on the house floor and in his office and Bragged about uh, his inappropriate escapades to colleagues. You know, what do you have to say to the young women who are working in Congress, either as lawmakers, maybe, or even as staff, who might feel uncomfortable with continuing to work around him?
1: Well, in the in the Congress and under the Constitution, each body of the Congress determines uh, the whether who, who serves in the body. Uh, the the House can can and, and possibly. The, that's what they might do, but they can decide whether a member continues to serve or not. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know this person. I've never talked to him on this on the House floor, have no idea what he might have shown to other people. But they know uh, and part of the job of the members of the House and Senate uh, is to determine the appropriateness of the conduct of others who serve, but it's not the job of the Senate to decide who should serve in the House. And I'll leave that to the House.
0: Uh, and Senator, we only have a minute left here. So I do wanna ask you, what's your legacy after such a long and, and storied career in Congress? What do you want that legacy to be?
1: Well, you know, I hope it uh, is a legacy where people think I tried to find solutions, that I look for ways to get things done. I know in uh, the healthcare research space, the mental health space, the national intelligence, Uh, space manufacturing uh, looking ways that I was finding ways to work with my colleagues uh, all make a difference you know in a democracy when you uh, go down that path of assuming that unless you get exactly what you want you're not going to accept anything else that's that's a path for failure in a democracy Uh, nobody gets exactly what they want very much of the time and so you've got to look at all the other people that present here to do this job And find the areas where you can agree and move forward and find the areas where this combination of people are just not going to produce an agreement there. But uh, finding solutions is important. I think I've uh, found a number of those solutions in areas that really matter uh, and look forward to doing that the rest of this year and all of next year and uh, intend intend to finish this job as strong as I can.
0: Any fun plans for retirement?
1: Well, you know, I've, I've gone to work somewhere since I was 17 years old. The idea of not working uh, uh, doesn't appeal to me very much. But uh, get, being able to do more work of what I want to do, when I want to do it, uh, does. And uh, I, I'm thinking right now about what I'm going to do the next two years. Uh, sometime late next year, I'll begin to think about what I'm going to do after that.
0: Well, congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have.
1: Thank you, Jay. Great to be with you.
0: Please tune in on Monday at 10 a.m. when my colleague Paul Kane is going to interview former Speaker of the House John Boehner on his new book that just came out last week on the House of Washington memoir. You can always head to the thewashingtonpostlive.com to register and find out more about our upcoming programming. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.
0: With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members of FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.